Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time for the business week ended 25th November 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, a preview of the CTAD Alzheimer's meeting, US myeloma drug withdrawal puts pressure on GSK, new leadership at Teva, and Merck's Frazier cautions against profit maximization. All eyes will be on the first presentation of detailed results for Azi and Biogen's amyloid clearing antibody, Lecanimab, from the Phase 3 Clarity AD trial at the Clinical Trials on Alzheimer's Disease, or CTAD, meeting from 29th November to 2nd December in San Francisco. But data for other anti-amyloid therapies also may shed some light on what could make Lecanimab stand out as it nears approval and launch. Mandy Jackson writes that following Roche's announcement on 14th November that its anti-amyloid antibody, gantanerumab, failed to significantly best placebo in the Phase 3 Graduate 1 and Graduate 2 trials. Lecanimab's positive readout will be the star of the show with its CTAD opening presentation on 29th November. But analysts and investors will also look to the 30th November presentations of gantanerumab data and Eli Lilly's Trailblazer ALZ4 trial comparing amyloid reductions by Dronanimab and Biogen Azai's Adjuhelm to see if those studies also offer insights into Lecanimab's future. Azai Biogen reported positive top-line results from Clarity AD in late September, noting that Lecanimab met its primary endpoints and the data will support global registration for the firm's second anti-amyloid biologic. Meanwhile, gantanerumab missed statistical significance at Phase 3. In research notes dissecting the limited amount of data available ahead of the CTAD meeting, analysts indicated that the need for a lengthy period of gantanerumab dose titration in the graduate studies to reduce the incidence of amyloid-related imaging abnormalities likely led to the relatively low amount of amyloid reduction. This should be an important topic of discussion at the meeting, including the differences between Azai Biogen's Lecanimab, Roche's Gantanerumab and Lilly's Donanimab that have led to different levels of amyloid clearance and effects on cognition as a result in clinical trials. Lilly's Phase 3 Trailblazer ALZ4 study being presented at CTAD was designed to show faster and deeper clearance of amyloid plaques from the brains of Alzheimer's patients with denanimab than with Adjuhelm. But anti-amyloid antibodies will not be the only Phase 3 game in town at CTAD, as TauRx Therapeutics is slated to present results from the Lucidity trial of its oral tau aggregation inhibitor, hydromethylthionine mesylate, on 30th November. GSK is to withdraw its multiple myeloma therapy, Blenrep, from the US market following a US FDA request, as the drug has failed to show significant benefits for patients in a confirmatory study. The request reflects a wider clampdown by the US regulator on drugs given accelerated approvals, but which then failed to perform in confirmatory trials and is a blow to GSK, which had hoped Blenrep would achieve $3 billion in peak annual sales. Andrew McConaughey writes the news was not unexpected after the company unveiled the disappointing readout from the Phase 3 DREAM 3 study earlier this month, 
which showed the BCMA-targeted antibody drug conjugate failed to meet its primary endpoints of improved progression-free survival, compared with cell genes pomalist in combination with low-dose dexamethasone in patients with relapsed or refractory multiple myeloma. Blenrep was conditionally approved in the US in August 2020, and later that same month by the European Medicines Agency, for patients who have received at least four prior therapies. The drug was the first BCMA targeting agent to gain approval in myeloma, but safety concerns related to eye toxicity have contributed to a modest launch trajectory. The drug reached only around $43 million in revenues in this third quarter. GSK announced on 22nd November that it would withdraw the drug from the US market, but allow eligible patients to continue treatments on a compassionate use program as required. There is so far no word of similar action from the EMA. However, Blenrep may not be at the end of the road in the US, as GSK is expecting further phase 3 trial readouts of the drug in earlier treatment settings. Nevertheless, the setback does leave GSK looking thin in the wider oncology field, as these solid tumour treatments, the PD-1 inhibitor Gemperly and PARP inhibitor Zedula, are now its only marketed cancer drugs. The setback also puts further pressure on other late-stage hopes, such as its RSV vaccine and hepatitis B candidate, Bipyroversin, to be commercial successes over the next few years and increases GSK's need to acquire new assets via M&A or in-licensing. Unicure and CSL's Hemgenics has been approved for the treatment of adults with moderately severe to severe haemophilia B by the US FDA, making it the first gene therapy for the rare bleeding disorder and the most expensive drug to date. Ayesha Sharma writes the Australian firm revealed the treatment would cost $3.5 million in the US, edging past the $3 million price tag for Bluebird Bio's active cerebral adrenoleukodystrophy gene therapy, Skysona, to become the most expensive drug in the country. However, CSL said it was confident the price point would generate significant cost savings for the healthcare system overall. Hemogenics, also known as Etranades, is a one-time AAV5-based treatment that delivers the Padua gene variant of factor 9 to the liver and triggers the body to produce stable levels of the clotting protein. CSL is gearing up for US and EU launches in the first quarter of 2023, although Hemogenics is still under review in the latter, with a Committee for Medicinal Products for Human Use opinion expected by year-end. Unicure CEO Matt Kapusta told Scrip, Most gene therapy approvals to date have been for ultra-rare diseases, but Unicure is delighted to lead the charge in terms of a gradual shift in focus to more prevalent rare diseases. This shift has been a challenging one for Unicure, which experienced the struggles of developing successful gene therapies for ultra-rare disease when its lipoprotein lipase deficiency therapy, Glybera, was withdrawn from the market in 2017. In contrast, haemophilia B affects an estimated 30,000 to 33,000 patients, primarily in the US. News of the approval is especially welcome for Unicure, which is eligible for milestones under the terms of a 2020 licensing deal with CSL. 
In particular, Unicure is set to receive $100 million upon the first US sale and another $75 million upon the first EU sale, as long as they occur before July next year. Tiva Pharmaceutical Industries' new CEO, Richard Francis, takes over from Carrie Schultz, effective 1st of January, and will be responsible for returning the company to growth for the first time since 2017. The troubled generic and specialty drug maker has faced almost an endless series of obstacles since Schultz took the helm in 2017, and while he worked to stabilise the company's financial foundation in the face of headwinds, the company never did meet his return-to-growth objectives. Francis is an experienced executive in the generic drug industry, having previously led Sandoz, the generic drug business owned by Novartis. He stepped down from Sandoz in 2019 and became partner at the health sciences investment firm Syncona and CEO of two portfolio companies, the gene therapy venture Pure Spring Therapeutics and cardiovascular-focused force field therapeutics. Prior to his work at Sandoz, Francis was a senior executive at Biogen for 13 years, where he held a number of leadership positions, including overseeing the US business and the launch of Tecfidera in 2013. A leadership transition has been expected at Tiva after Schultz indicated earlier this year that he did not intend to renew his contract with the company. The company is now well positioned for an exciting future and by leveraging Richard's compelling track record of growing businesses in the life sciences, biologics and generic drug sector, his entrepreneurial and pragmatic leadership style and emphasis on a collaborative and innovative culture, the board and I are confident that Tiva will build on this solid foundation, Chairman Sol Beira said in a statement. While at Sandoz from 2014 to 2019, Francis oversaw a smaller and more stable generic drug business than Tava. Sandoz was sheltered by a large parent, Novartis, and benefited from a strong presence outside the US, a region that has been a challenging one for generic drugs for many years, driven by pricing pressures and distributor consolidation. Finally, drug industry CEOs must operate differently than the leaders of other businesses, due to the role of medicines and ethics around medicine, said Merkin Co.'s outgoing executive chairman and former CEO, Ken Frazier, in a 16th November interview with Scripps' Sarah Collins-Smith, just two weeks ahead of his retirement from the pharma company. My personal view is that pharma CEOs can't simply take the attitude that they are going to maximise financial outcomes, they're going to maximise shareholders' outcomes. Frazier said at the 2022 STAT Summit. I think we obviously have that obligation to our shareholders to make sure that they get a reasonable return on their invested capital. But I think, because of the importance of medicine to people, we have to think about it more from the perspective of optimising access and optimising profitability, which is more of a balance. That is a difficult balance to strike, Frazier acknowledged. But it doesn't mean, because it's difficult, that you can give up and say, hey, I'm simply here to maximise shareholder return. I think that invites the challenge that the industry has now, which is the concept that somehow we need external regulation and pricing of our industry. Our industry is a unique industry in the sense that while we don't take the Hippocratic Oath, 
We are hard up against the physicians who do take the Hippocratic Oath, Frazier said. This doesn't mean the industry can make everything available at a very low price, because our investors don't have to give us the capital to invest in a very costly, long-term, risky enterprise R&D. But I think we have to be thoughtful about what society expects from an industry like ours and to ensure that we are doing responsible things around pricing. When asked whether he felt he was able to get the access profit balance right during his time leading Moat, Frazier answered indirectly at first. I think we did what I thought was right when I was in the chair. We didn't try to maximise our profitability. There are a lot of examples that I could give. But part of the problem is that the pharma industry can't solve the issue of drug pricing on its own, he said. Drug pricing is a complicated system with different players with different incentives, insurance companies, PBMs, etc. I think at some point we're all going to have to sit down at a table and say this system ain't working. It's too expensive, it does not provide quality care to people when they need it. How do we rethink the system, Frazier said. So I wouldn't say that we got it right. I would say that I'm comfortable with the decisions that we made in attempt to optimise profitability and access. That's all for this week. Many thanks for listening. Check out the article accompanying this podcast for links to all the articles in full to which you will have access as a subscriber. Or if you don't subscribe, take a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.